Hey listeners, this episode is going to be a little different. It's partially based on ethnographic research I conducted this summer on, wait for it, roller skating. You might say, what can sociology tell us about roller skating? Well, the thing about sociology is that wherever people congregate, that becomes a site of potential research. There are many explanations for this. I personally like political philosopher Hannah Arendt's interpretation. When people gather, power is created with power being defined as potential that is developed when a group of people act in concert. This is the potential to establish relations and create new social realities. When a group disbands, that power dissipates. For this episode, I'm not going to focus solely on the act of roller skating, but what happens when people skate together? It's about the rink as a cultural institution. I'm Matt Sedlar, and today, sociology is going to ruin roller skating. I grew up in Southern California's San Gabriel Valley, and during the summers, there were a handful of places you could go to escape the heat. There's the Pony Hills Mall, which, fun fact, served as Twin Pines Mall in the 1985 film Back to the Future. Raging Waters in San Dimas, uh, if your friends were lifeguards and could get you in for free. And Skate Junction in West Covina. Skate Junction was a large indoor roller rink that opened in 1978 at the tail end of roller disco fever had a shiny white floor and globe lights hanging from the ceiling, and it always felt packed. In the 90s, I'd head there frequently with a group of friends, all of us varying in our roller skating abilities. There were rinkside tables and some arcade games if you really weren't comfortable skating, but most people chose, for better or worse, to be in the rink with their friends, skating circles around people, or hugging the walls and praying you didn't fall on your butt. Throughout the history of roller skating, rinks have been places you go to see or be seen. Like Skate Junction, they're local institutions, a place to maintain and create new connections as well as construct new social realities. It's been like this since the 1800s. That's right, roller skates have been around for a long time. I wanted to know, what's the biggest difference between rinks of the 1800s and rinks today? Here's Alan Bacon, a trustee at the National Museum of Roller Skating and a rink owner. Modern roller skating has been around for over 150 years, since Plimpton in 1863 came up with a quad roller skate and, and made it uh, usable for everybody. So that's a long period of time. So uh, American society has changed uh, and tastes and interests have changed and therefore ro- roller rinks have survived all that time period. So obviously they have changed with the times. In the 1800s, rinks catered more to the social elite. Back then, skaters were accompanied by brass bands as they waltzed around the rink and coordinated movements. Men competed in fancy skating competitions. The early rinks acted as social clubs and shared many of the same qualities of social clubs of the day, with the exception that women were allowed. You could become a member of a rink and receive lessons in skate dancing or skating in general, as long as you were of a certain class and ethnicity. But some of the social functions we see at rinks today were not part of rink culture during that early period. For example, I'll just give you one example. Today, birthday parties are a mainstream for uh, roller rinks. Well, you know, a half a century ago, with one spouse being home and so forth, a lot of birthdays were done in-house, at one's house. And today, you know, people, both spouses working, limited time, 
there's a more emphasis in our culture of making the birthdays a, a really big special day and roller skating fulfills that need and so roller skating birthday parties are much bigger today than they were 50 50 years ago or 75 years ago that's just one example of how our country and our culture has changed and roller skating has fulfilled that need the popularity of roller skating shifted in the 1900s roller skating became a leisure activity for the working class as it had fallen out of favor with the social elite Brass bands were replaced by organists, and then later DJs. Fancy skating gave way to roller hockey. While the activity grew in popularity among the working class, still not everyone was able to participate. Black families found themselves excluded from ranks as owners feared interracial mingling. Black men were allowed in ranks mostly as employees in service-oriented positions, such as the skate boys who helped customers into their skates. In 1955, the first black-owned roller rink in the country, the Rollercade, opened in Detroit. If rinks are cultural institutions, the Rollercade in particular has a history of shaping black culture. It started off as a place where the black community in Detroit could actually go to skate because black skaters weren't welcome at popular venues. But with the Rollercade, the black community had a space where people could skate to the music they wanted to hear and skate the way they wanted to skate. To explore this topic more, I talked to Jocelyn Marie Good, founder of the African American Roller Skate Museum. Tell me a little bit about the African American Roller Skate Museum and what led you to create the museum. So it is a really interesting project because I, you know, officially launched it in April. So it very much is a work in progress. But I think conceptually, that part's really solid. Um, and the concept is basically that African Americans have been roller skating, you know, as an American pastime, just like many Americans. But there's a big distinction in the role that roller skating and roller skating rinks have played in the involvement of um, Black culture. And looking at the resurgence of interest in roller skating, you know, as a result of the pandemic and its limitations, and people turning to roller skating as um, an outlet, um, there arose these issues, you know, around representation, around credit, around um, authorship, that inspired me, you know, coming from an arts background to say, you know what, we should have an institution that um, takes up the responsibility and the leadership to house and preserve and advance and educate people about roller skating as it relates to African-Americans. So that's kind of the the premise. And um, the way I came into it, um, you know, my background is in fine art and I've been an artist and an educator. So using art as a tool for justice has already been in my background. And during the pandemic, you know, a lot of my activities were shut down. So I started roller skating at the end of 2020. And it was really, you know, for me, an inspirational moment because the whole year, you know, beginning in March for 2020 was bad news. You know what I mean? And it was draining and it was really difficult to see just what the pandemic had done to people. Um, just all the deaths, you know, and all the illness and all the divisiveness coming from the Trump administration. But it was another layer to see the police violence against the Black community, you know, to see African-Americans being just killed for no reason. And um, the outcry, you know, and then at the end of the year, I went to this party where I saw people skating. Which, you know, for me, like many others, it was something I hadn't engaged in, you know, maybe like here and there for a birthday party. It wasn't a serious passion at that time. 
But in that moment with all that stuff was going on in the world and to see, you know, my community, people that look like me with masks on, roller skating, having fun and joy and togetherness and music. And what I saw as dance, you know, I was like, wow, you know, the resiliency, um, it made me want to be a part of that immediately. And so that's kind of what launched my journey into um, creating the museum. You talked a little about um, black skating culture and you, as you quote um, Victoria Wolcott on your site, the roller skating rinks were the hardest spaces to desegregate even well into the 1960s. And so this led to the opening of black owned rinks like the Rollercade in Detroit in 1955. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about that parallel skating culture that developed because of that? Yes. So um, I don't know if you had a chance to see, I made this, um, this, uh, I guess, like historical poem called Once Upon a Roller Skate. If you wanna learn more, there's another piece that goes really in depth into um, just how roller skating intersects black history from like beginning with like setting the foundation of white supremacy and how that's the premise for slavery, you know, and how that's the premise for a lot of the issues going along the way is this notion that, you know, there's racial categories, which are sort of arbitrary when you think about them. And through racialization, you have some people who get to be white and who get to have privileges and therefore the right to um, control others and to dictate um, where they belong in society and to brutalize others and those who are labeled black being on the receiving end of that. Um, And so after the the 1940s, um, you have World War II and the conclusion of World War II brought soldiers home and Roller skating was encouraged to help soldiers manage their PTSD. And, but still at that time, um, roller skating rinks were segregated. A lot of the soldiers were angry because African-Americans contributed to, you know, America or, you know, that side winning um, World War II. And when they came home, they still weren't permitted to receive good paying jobs. So there was a lot of pushback, you know, and a lot of anger. Um, and not being allowed to roller skate, it was actually in 1942 um, in Chicago, um, a group called CORE, which is, um, it was a civil rights group, you know, comprised of both um, white people and black people. And they worked together to um, boycott this roller skating rink called White City Rink, I think it was called, ironically. It's an unfortunate Um, name. (laughs) Yeah, in Chicago. And, it was through their, you know, boycotts and their nonviolent approach to desegregate that ring that actually gave rise to the civil rights movement, um, which followed after. So, but I think the big thing about like why African Americans wanted to roller skate, um, segregation obviously limited where African Americans could participate in society. So it wasn't just about the act of roller skating; it was that roller skating rinks provided a place where we could commune and congregate and where we could be ourselves and we could, where we could express ourselves. And because of segregation, when African-Americans were allowed in the ranks, they only had one night and the white people weren't there. So that exclusion of um, intermixing allowed for African-Americans to develop their own styles of skating, not knowing how white Americans were skating. And so again, it was sort of a place where culture was incubated 
And so it took on a greater significance because there were just very few options and opportunities for that level of interaction. Um, and so, you know, and then so they weren't just skating. There were concerts being held there. There were social groups meeting and organizing. Um, several civil rights groups would hold their meetings within rinks. Um, you know, this one guy, he opens up a roller skating rink um, in Detroit called Plamore, P-L-A-M-O-R. And he used um, the rinks to organize young people so that they would, to combat juvenile delinquency. He brought in instructors and taught them how to roller skate and then created an association where they competed in roller skating. So roller skating rink and roller skating rinks and roller skating were really solutions um, to a lot of other social problems. And it took on a greater significance for African-Americans. According to James Turner and Michael Zabeman, authors of the history of roller skating, the popular music of the 1980s drove away adult skaters and the traditionalists. Roller skating became known as something that kids do. But I wanted to know if this is an accurate description of roller skating. Again, here's Alan Bacon. Roller skating over 150 years has had, had its boom times. And when that boom time is over, there's a tendency to think that, well, roller skating's gone away and it's not popular. No, it's maybe not in that heightened state with all that media attention like the disco era, but it's still around. And every time that roller skating has taken a, a boom, and that's been multiple times, adults have been part of that boom. I guess the youth market is that kind of consistent market that kind of stays. Uh, I think the young adult market is more finicky and it, and it, it comes in and out o over time, but it always comes back. As we see in this phenomenon of 2020, where adults uh, saw roller skating as fulfilling a, a very important need during the pandemic. And I pose the same question to Jocelyn Marie Good. Do you see skating as generational or across generations? Oh, it's definitely intergenerational. It's definitely, even to this day, very intergenerational. Um, and there's something that's kind of unique about it because, you know, just due to the, um, the way that racism and the way that capitalism have played out in African-American community, you do have a lot of fragmentation. You know, you do have a, a loss of tradition being passed on. You do have a lot of inequity and imbalance um, where, you know, me as an African-American woman, I can have a very distinct experience from an African-American man because Black women have been able to achieve levels of education and income salaries where Black men have been targeted in such a way that they haven't achieved the same level. So even within genders, there's a discrepancy that causes a lot of disharmony. Um, and I think the level of awareness as to why isn't always known. I mean, these are my observations. You know, these are my opinions. Some people might object, but from what I observe and what I have studied, these are the replications of racism. Um, but in skating, you're gonna find black men skating together, holding hands. You're gonna find grandmothers, you know, sorority sisters, church people, um, children. You're gonna find everyone all together, teenagers, millennials, even to this day, people from all walks of life, people, all body shapes, you know, it's not exclusionary. And the way that it's expressed is so unique. So there's something about the sameness, the fact that it skates, that's all the same, but that everyone arrives differently and that's okay. And that's welcome and that's celebrated. So that's really a big deal. Um, there's also the fact of how music has been incubated within the roller skating rinks. 
you know, in the 90s, um, you still had that level of, I guess, segregation or, you know, refusal to allow hip hop culture to be performed in many venues. And the roller skating rinks were a place where hip hop music was not only performed, but that was the way to get put on. You would do a roller rink tour. And um, a lot of DJs as well would be able to introduce music to the community because they were there to skate and they wanted to skate to a certain type of rhythm and certain type of beat. And the DJs would introduce up and coming hip hop artists and rap artists through the roller skate music, through the music they played at the roller skating rinks. So it, it is very intergenerational. Um, roller disco was very important too because um, it did relate to black culture in a lot of ways. It was, I think maybe one of the most obvious and I don't know, I wanna say like sexy way in a way of um, interracialism being manifested through culture. You know, you really saw um, something that was taboo, which is black, black men and white women being together. Um, you saw homosexuals, you know, being able to be open um, in roller disco. So it was a place where you can come as you are and really be received and actually celebrated and uplifted. So, you know, having that mixing over of the culture during the 70s with roller disco, you saw black styles begin to leak out into mainstream culture with some of those um, roller skate movies that came out. Even though blacks may not have been in the movies, um, the influence of black culture was very visible through the way those white skaters performed. For some adults, and I fall squarely into this category, it's not so much that we see skating as a kid's activity, but being adult kind of changes your priorities. This is from my interview with Alan Bacon. I think of my own history, and I, I, I'm sure you think of your own as uh, someone who grew up with roller skating. It's something I did as a kid, and you know, up until recently, it's not something I thought about doing as an adult. And when I picked it up again, it's like, well, this is really fun. Why did I ever stop doing it? <laughs> because people get busy. And it's not that the roller skating for that young adult is not fun, but they have other uh, things. And, and, and adults, you know, we, we, we constantly go back to the disco era. But there was a lot of adults involved in roller skating when the inlines came in the late 80s and 90s, both indoors and outdoors. That we saw a resurgence of, you know, young adults then. We see uh, you had roller derby, the new roller derby in the 2000s. You have all these adults getting, particularly uh, women, getting getting back into it. So we always go back to the disco era, but there's been many areas for different reasons that adults have gotten into roller skating. For example, we think of the late 70s as the roller disco era, and I've been doing a lot of research about Southern California. It was not just about roller disco. It was about outdoor skating. The urethane wheel came in in 1977. A shop owner, uh, a rental shop owner in uh, Southern California switched from metal wheels to urethane wheels in 1977, and there was an explosion of outdoor skating for adults because now it was very comfortable to skate outdoors with urethane wheels when it wasn't with steel wheels and that's been forgotten about i think and so adults have been involved in roller skating throughout its history that brings me to now roller skating is in what rink owners would call another boom period thanks to social media like TikTok. it's also a great activity for people who are really desperate to get out of their homes after spending over a year in quarantine but i wanted to know if we are skating together or skating alone 
Oh no, well, it's been a big increase in uh, in uh, adult participation again. Not that it had gone totally away or any sense, but there, there's a, a a boom going on and uh, with uh, young adult skating, um, rediscovering like you have, uh, and finding the time to do it. And uh, yeah, that's been it's it's been big. But the, but the the business before the pandemic, uh, my business particularly, were was very strong, uh, strong as it had been a long time. So the pan, uh, and I'm sure the pandemic and the, uh, these cycles change. So sometimes it's more youth orientated, sometimes it's more adult orientated. But skating's been around for 150 years, and it's something very, you know, why did people uh, during the pandemic? go back uh, adults go to roller skating there's something very um long lasting about that activity i think it will always be around just like bicycling and uh, swimming and so forth it's just it's one of those activities i don't think it's ever going to go away but it will change in uh over time i also wanted to know if what we're seeing on social media platforms like TikTok borders on appropriation by taking styles from black skating culture without crediting the culture itself Again, here's Jocelyn Marie Good. Well, I think those trends are always going to happen as long as you have racism and white supremacy. You're always going to have a favoring of whiteness no matter what. So let's just say until we get rid of race and that categorization and therefore all those other systems fall apart, that's going to happen. However, what's really different about now is social media isn't the same thing as movies and media being distributed by a select few group of people. The voice of the people can become very loud when they start banding together. And initially that was an issue. And I'm not gonna say it's not an issue anymore, but what I have seen is brands recognizing the threat by alienating black creators. And I've seen a lot of brands begin to showcase and feature black roller skaters recently. You know, in the last six months, there's been such a, a, a rise in visibility of not just roller skating crossing over into like commercialism, but you know those um, casting agents intentionally looking to put and cast African Americans in those pieces, in those pieces of advertisement. Now I don't know if it's because they want to just capture a black audience and they realize you know we need to do this, or it's it's legitimate in terms of recognizing you know that African Americans do bring something valuable and unique to roller skate culture. However, that is a big difference. And I think it's the nature of technology and how quickly it is and how, you know, I feel like there is a level of meritocracy and democracy within it because it's not controlled by just a small group of people. Well, maybe in terms of the the programs and who's, you know, who owns it, but in terms of the contributors, the presence is undeniable. You know, black Twitter is undeniable. Um, Hashtags are undeniable and people becoming influencers you know, those are forces to be reckoned with. So I'm seeing something different happen that didn't happen, you know, in the 1970s. For younger listeners in Southern California wondering about Skate Junction, it closed in 2001. 
Though it certainly wasn't the only rink in Southern California, it was the only rink in West Covina, and it had been regarded as an institution by locals. Earlier, I shared my memories of skating as a kid, so I asked my guests to share some of their own. So, okay, you say fun memories. So roller skating, it would be like this. You're in like fifth grade, you know, and I went to public school here in New York when I was in elementary school, and you get field trips. So field trips are always like, yeah, we get to leave school. And you get the permission slip and you see that it's roller skating. So on one hand, you're excited. But me, I wasn't a good roller skater. So like my memories of skating are being like with my friend group, you know, and being on the bus on the way to the roller skating rink and getting there. And the main thing is just don't fall. Like that's almost the name of the game. And when you get back on the bus after, the whole thing is, did you fall? Did you fall? No, I didn't fall. I didn't fall. You know, and that would be like the claim to fame. Um, but I always wondered how some people were so good at skating. Like, I didn't know that you could go out and buy your own pair of roller skates. You know what I mean? I didn't know that there were people whose parents were what called skateheads you know, and grew up in the era where they participated in roller disco, you know, going up places like Empire. Um, for me, I grew up in Queens. So we had hot skates. That was the big one in Long Island. You know, that was where if you went to school in Queens, your field trip would be at hot skates. So, um, but it was a lot of fun because there is something about what happens when you take your shoes off and now you're on wheels, you know, like the rules of gravity sort of switch up on you. Um, and also just kind of in your mind, you think you're like Christina Yamaguchi, you know what I mean? Like you're some ice skater and wanting to make your body move like that, you know, um, this aspirational element of roller skating, like wanting to, you know, be like those ice skaters in the Olympics on TV, you know, and this is clearly like in the 90s when I was a little kid. But yeah, I think roller skating was always fun because it had like games there, you know, and it was just something that was sort of uniform and classic about that experience, something you could always count on. You knew that when you got there, you're going to get like some crappy pizza, you know, and some like some crappy nuggets, you know, they ha would have that there. There was like an arcade feeling. There was something sort of kind of cheesy about it in a way. Um, but it was a good time. It was always a good time, you know, and you kind of like laugh and you fall down and you get back up, you know, so and it was just like people being together. I think that's like the nostalgic feeling of roller skating from being a kid. Now it has totally different meaning in my life as an adult, you know, and I'm coming in as someone who's like, oh, this is like, I'm an enthusiast now, you know, like this is something I want to get good at. So I practice and there I have my own skates, you know, um, there's all these tutorials and all these people in social media teaching different elements of it, you know, and then there's these communities that gather and all these unusual, to me, I would have never expected. So like all across New York, in the parks, every borough, there are skate groups who host their own informal mixers and they skate on tennis rinks. I mean, tennis um, courts and um, basketball courts because there aren't outdoor roller skating rinks. So we find the smoothest surfaces and convert them into like these pop-up roller skating rinks. And people are extremely expressive in how they dress. You know, it's almost like the rinks are the place of the alter ego, you know? And, you know, you might have a math teacher, you know, who, 
you know, looks like us with the button down, but on the ring, they might have a tutu on and a black mask on their face. And I'm not talking about a mask like this, like a superhero mask, you know? So it is really a place where adults still, um, you see that inner child come out, you know, you see people just spinning in circles, you know, like that's the thing they're learning how to do. So there is just a huge level of joy that just continues no matter what age you are um, about roller skating. And um, I don't know if you roller skate, but, or anyone listening to this, but it's very worthwhile to give it a shot and push past that initial discomfort of not knowing what you're doing. Because I think one of the other rewarding aspects is your, your sense of progress and how visible and how tangible and how visceral it is. You really feel your body changing as you learn. Um, and as adults, you know, sometimes it's hard to learn new things. We don't like not being good at something. Um, falling down is like, you know, oh my gosh, I fell. But I think it's a really character builder. You know what I mean? This, you know, it just serves metaphorically to what it takes to stay as an open mind in society. Um, and so I also encourage it for that reasons. And also the health reasons, you know, you burn lots of calories and you will see your body tone up in the most amazing ways if you take on skating. So skaters, you know, they do, people are all shapes and sizes, but there's a level of like fitness, you know, even if you're a bigger person, like there's a lot of muscle control that you develop in order to skate. So um, it, it's, it's a pretty cool thing. I'll give you an example of my own kids. I was thinking about this. Uh, they didn't have every one of their birthday parties at the ring for obvious reasons. And, but they did have some, and I videotaped all their birthday parties. And we go back and look at those videotapes. And they had the most fun, I think, even though there was nothing new to them. The roller rink wasn't anything new to them. You just look at the kids in that party, and they were having so much fun. There's something about roller skating, at, at, at the, the community that creates the so it's a very social thing, and it's, it's, it's a great way for people to get together. And I don't think that's ever going to change. Thank my guests Alan Bacon and Jocelyn Marie Good. I've included links to both the National Museum of Roller Skating and the African American Roller Skate Museum, including the poem Jocelyn Marie references in the notes. I also want to thank George Washington University sociology professor Dr. Michelle Kelso for encouraging me to explore this area of research. This episode has been produced and mixed by me, Matt Sudlar. I also compose the music you've been listening to. Thanks for listening and join me next month when sociology ruins something else.